I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. We keep on trucking in this last hour. Just uh, one final hour to go today, and uh, I'm glad to have you in with us in this hour. And in this hour, uh, we'll talk about how to increase your impact and grow your influence to help move the folk you work with or manage into decisive action to produce better results. Please be joined in this hour by best-selling author and noted speaker, Dr. Cheryl Wood. Dr. Cheryl Wood, how are you today? I'm phenomenal. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you on. Thank you for the time. Glad we have an hour to uh, unpack a few things we want to get to in this hour. Let me start Let me start big and broad, and we'll, we'll work our way through the hour. Um, was uh, going through some of your stuff a couple of days ago in preparation for our conversation, and uh, came upon something you did back in 2021 uh, called Unleash Your Undeniable Impact. We'll get to uh, some 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 greater details. We move again through the hour. When you talk about unleashing our undeniable impact, um, unpack that for me. Yeah. So when I think about the word unleash, I think about releasing something from a restraint. So when we talk about releasing your impact, every single one of us, it doesn't matter what our title is. It doesn't matter what our background, our race, our nationality. We all have an impact that we're destined to make in the world. And you have to really, really believe in that and understand the power of the impact that you can make and the legacy that you can create as one person. And when you really believe in that, then you would wake up every day with an energy inside of you that says, I can't be quiet. I've got to teach somebody else what I know. Mm. I've got to share my story and my experiences because someone somewhere in the world is waiting on me to show up and unleash this or, again, release it from its constraints. Because most times, especially in the African-American community, we're taught we keep our business to ourselves. I know because I was raised by a strong black mama, too. And she always said, we don't, we don't tell our business. We don't take our business outside of this house. But we're in a different time frame in history. And now is a time where people need hope. They need inspiration. They need something to believe in. They need something greater to believe in. They need to be able to see in their mind's eye a the hope of a greater future because of all the craziness and the madness that's happening in the world. So this is a profound time where all of us can tap into all of our life lessons and the experiences that we've had, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and share that openly so that we can let other people know, number one, they're not alone in whatever struggle they might be currently going through. And number two, to also let them know that guess what? There's hope on the other side of what you are currently going through, which means you can make it through. Because if I did, so can you. Mm-hmm. Um, you call it undeniable, uh, an undeniable impact. And yet I'm curious as to what you think, what you have learned about why so many of us have difficulty accepting uh, the fact that we are gifted in unique ways. I think sometimes when things come to us easy, whatever our gifting is, and I, I believe all of us have a gifting, mm-hmm. we just feel like, well, it couldn't be that. That's, that comes too easy to me. Meanwhile, other people around you are watching from afar, and they are in awe. They're in awe of how you run this show. They're in awe of your voice, Tavis. They're in awe of how you flow the way that you flow, and they wish they could have a tenth of the talent that you have in what you do. But the reality is, that's your gifting. That's the thing that you're destined to do. So I can't step in and try to be you and no one else can. And we shouldn't try to be because we all have our own unique gifting. So for me, it happens to be communication. It happens to be the ability to really 
freely express myself and orate in a way that moves people. Well, there are other people who do the same thing. Some of my mentors and coaches, Les Brown is one of my good mentors and coaches Mm -hmm. and friends. Lisa Nichols, Eric Thomas, other amazing speakers in the world. But I don't have to waste time comparing myself to what they do and their voice and their impact because that's none of my business. My business is, am I honoring my God-given gift and the assignment that I feel is on my life? I call it a divine assignment Mm -hmm. and a divine calling to impact people with what I know. Because the way I say it is going to be different than the way they say it. The words that I use will be different. My perspective on whatever the thing is I'm speaking about will be different than anybody else's perspective or experience. So if I don't share it again, someone somewhere who's waiting on that and they need to hear it the way I say it from my perspective, they're not going to get what they need. Mm -hmm. So all of us have that undeniable thing about ourselves, which basically is you are unduplicatable. No one, Mm -hmm. no one can duplicate you. And that means no one can deny the impact that you're made made to make in the world. <laughs> Somebody told me years ago, you might as well be yourself because everybody else is already taken, right? <laughs> Just be, be yourself. <laughs> everybody else is already taken. Uh, let me ask you, um, forthrightly, do you believe, I think you do, but I want to ask you to unpack it for me. Do you believe that each and every one of us, in fact, has a, as you would put it, divine assignment? Absolutely. There is no way that you were, that you were created, like, literally different from everybody else for you to be like anybody else. So you, I'm different than, I have a twin sister, mm. okay, a biological twin sister. We are two minutes apart. We are thick as thieves, Tavis. Mm. But even my sister and I, my twin sister and I, are not the same. We don't have the same calling. We don't have the same purpose. We don't even have the same fingerprint, which means my impact is going to be different than her impact. Mm-hmm. In fact, in my world, I'm in the space of communication and speaking, my twin sister is in the realm of health, wellness, and fitness. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do what she do. I, I don't want to go <laughs> teach nobody about their health and wellness. That is not my calling. I, but I'm playing in my lane of brilliance and my divine calling, which is I have this innate ability to inspire people, to empower them, to make them feel like, oh, my God, it's nothing I can't do. And I love utilizing that gift and not trying to show up and pretend to be anybody else. Because if I show up and pretend to be somebody else one time, guess what I got to do? I got to keep showing up and pretending to be that person over and over and over again, which means I never just get to breathe as the authentic me. Yeah, because I'm always fascinated by twins. I'm curious now, what's your twin's first name, Cheryl? Cherie. There you go, Cheryl and Cherie. I love it. <laughs> Just getting started in this conversation uh, with Cherie's sister, Cheryl, her twin sister, Cheryl, Dr. Cheryl Wood. You're listening to her right now on KBLA Talk 1580. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. We were just talking uh, during the break, Dr. Sherwood. Uh, leave it to Miles, my board op, and JD, my producer, they always ask me these strange questions all the time. Uh, and so, so during the break, they're like, they're like, Miles calls me coach. He's like, coach. He said, who are, who who are the the, the twins who've had the greatest <laughs> impact on the world with their work and their witness? And I said, Miles, leave it to you to ask me a question I've never been asked. And <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. I got some research to do. I mean, there are tons of twins, but when we start thinking about who, what set of twins have had a huge impact on the world historically, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the answer to that be. I'm, I'm, uh, I love Scotty and Walter, 
of the whispers. <laughs> I love, so do I. I love I love Rhonda and Tiki Barber. Uh, but I, I, that, that's a fascinating question. I, I never thought about it. So anyway, I'm just sharing the, this the, the craziness that happens during these breaks on on this show. Uh, we are we are pondering what set of twins have had a, just a significant impact on the world. Miles asked that question in part because uh, we're talking to Dr. Cheryl Wood. Yeah, uh, he said Jacob and Esau. Was Jacob and Esau twins, though? I don't, I don't know if Jacob and Esau were twins. I, I, that, now you're getting into the hermeneutics of the text, and I got to get to the, the etymological root of Jacob and Esau, and I'm not sure they were actually twins. I gotta, yeah, I, I, I got to dig into that one. Uh, anyway, we're talking to Dr. Cheryl Wood, who mentioned that she's a, she as a, as a twin, and so we just kind of pivoted and detoured for a moment. We're talking broadly in this conversation, though, uh, about how we can how we can unleash our undeniable impact on the world, no matter who we are, whether or not we are in fact a twin. I want I want to go back to something you said a moment ago, and then we'll we'll move forward here because I was struck by it, and I appreciate the, the you know the fine compliment about the work that I do, and obviously you're doing brilliant work in your own right, as are many of our listeners right now. But I've been I've been thinking um, in between Miles messing with me about who these twins are. I was thinking about something you said earlier. Uh, about the fact that people are in awe of us. Mm-hmm. And it's not just Tavis, it's not just Cheryl Wood, but every single one of us, and I've never quite thought about it in this way. You made me think about this, and I want to just try this out on you. Every single one of us has somebody, or somebody's plural, who are in awe of us. We never, we never think about it that way. But every one of us has somebody, somebody's in our lives, who are in awe of us. I come back to that point because I'm wondering how you think, Dr. Cheryl Wood, we would move differently, how we would process things differently, how it would change us if we knew, whether confessed or not, that somebody is watching us and they are in awe of us. I wonder if that fundamentally might change our DNA. Does that question make sense to you? It, it, it does. It absolutely does. There, there's a quote that I love by Maya Angelou. She says, pursue the thing you love doing and do it so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're talking about, like when people are in awe. But I think if we really sat in that and focused on that, it would interrupt the real impact that we're meant to make. Because, see, you and I, we don't have time to sit mm-hmm. and focus on who's in awe of us because that would get in the way of the work that we're called to do. Sure. So I, you know, I'm a mother of three, I have three teenagers, I, I'm married, been married for 21 years, so I have a, a, a marriage I'm nurturing, and I have a global business where I'm serving women globally. I don't have time to sit and focus on who's in awe of me because then ego comes into play. Mm-hmm. And in the work that I do, there is no room for ego. I literally have to be humble and powerful at the same time, but sure. there's no room for ego. Mm-hmm. And I and I learned that I had to be both because I used to only be humble. And humble was preventing me from really showing up as powerfully as I could, which means I wasn't making the impact and the transformation on other people's lives that I could. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn to really hone in on those two, but not sit in the space of, well, who adores me, admires me, is in awe of me. Instead, I'm focused on who is still waiting on me. Mm. And that requires me to move differently. When I wake up in the morning, I wake up understanding that, Cheryl, you have not arrived. 
Don't even go out in these streets and act like you have arrived because you still have work to do. There are 7.6 billion people on the planet. How many millions of lives have you impacted? Mm -hmm. And for me, I haven't impacted millions of lives yet, which means I have not arrived, which means I still have work to do every day that I wake up. And I have life and breath in my body. Yeah. You know, I take I, I take your I take your point and your response to my question about the all. Um, I'm trying to get at it a, a little bit differently. So let me try it one more time. Maybe I didn't frame it the right way. Because I, I absolutely take your point, and you're right. I would, as we said in the Black Church, Amen to everything you've just said. No question about that. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess what what what, I, what I'm pressing toward is that I think so many of us live lives, and we're so busy doing uh-huh. what we're, we're doing what we're doing that we're not really aware that people are watching us and being empowered by our example. Uh, uh-huh. and, and so it, it allows us to behave and move in different ways than we might otherwise move if we knew somebody was taking their cues from us. It might make you step your game up. Uh, it might it make you, you see my point? That's, that's, the, that's the route I was coming I, at I it from. I absolutely do. Yeah. I got you. Okay. I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, when, we are, when we're aware in that manner, that we're transforming lives through the work that we do because we show up every day, Mm -hmm. it it makes you show up more consistently. It makes you show up even when you don't feel like it. It makes you get up out of that bed even though you would rather sleep in late because you understand that you're on assignment. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, knowing that does impact the way that we move. For me, I mean, I worked in a corporate job for 15-plus years as a legal secretary, and I always had to hit the snooze button on my alarm clock at least five times. <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore mm-hmm. because I know that people are waiting on me to show up. And I know that because every time I show up and do what I've been called to do, someone is messaging me or DMing me or emailing me or they come to me at the end of a speech with tears streaming down their face. So I understand from that perspective, Cheryl, you are making a significant impact in the world. You're transforming people's lives. You're opening their minds up to what else is possible for them. Like you, that's priceless. So yeah, it makes me move in a different way in that my life becomes even less about me and more about showing up for the people that I've been called to serve. To your point now, Dr. Cheryl Wood, about hitting that snooze button at least five times <laughs> when you were working <laughs> as a legal secretary, and I can understand that. I ain't mad at you with all due respect to the legal secretaries out there. I'm sure you ain't the only one. <laughs> you ain't the only one pushing that snooze button, you know, when they got, when they got to deal with a bunch of cantankerous lawyers every day. Uh, I, but I digress. The, the, the point I, I want to I get to is that next week on this program, in fact, we're uh, having a conversation, J.D., next week on this conversation, uh, on this show, a conversation about an article that I read that I passed on to my producer and told him we need to work on this uh, for next week. And the article e was was fascinating for me. It, it laid out some serious data points that we need to consider and wrestle with about black folk in particular and how unhappy so many of us mm. are at the jobs we go to every day. Now, I suspect mm-hmm. I suspect that 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 factoid, uh, that data point could be extrapolated to a much larger population than just people with melanin in their skins. A whole lot of fellow citizens are not happy with the jobs they go to every day. But the data points were really, really fascinating and interesting. So make sure you stay tuned to next week, uh, our program next week. One day we'll get to this uh, and this data, which I just found completely, it, it just was fascinating for me about how many black people like detest the jobs they go to every single day. Again, to your point of hitting that snooze button five times before you got out of, got out of bed to go to do do work as a legal secretary. I, I'm coming to that because I'm wondering how we talk to people, and we'll get to the women part in just a second. You do a lot of work with women. I want to talk about that specifically. But I'm wondering how we inspire people, motivate people to unleash the undeniable impact that you told us they have, that everybody has a divine assignment when most of the Negroes we're talking to right now hate the jobs they're sitting at right now <laughs> listening to you and me. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, acknowledge that you're miserable. I yeah. mean, so many of us are in denial <laughs> that we're miserable or that we are existing when you're meant to live. And for me, I connected living with this thing called freedom. Mm-hmm. And there were three core freedoms I was I was seeking. There was time freedom, financial freedom, and creative freedom. Mm-hmm. I wanted all three of those. I wanted time freedom so that when one of my kids woke up and they weren't feeling good for the day, I, I didn't have to worry about calling out from a job that was going to give me an attitude and potentially risk my job because they wanted me there, but I wanted to be a present mother and take care of my child at home. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want that over my head. I didn't want this lack of financial stability and security and somebody capping my salary because I didn't have letters behind my name. At the time, I wasn't Dr. Cheryl Wood. I was Cheryl Wood. I grew up in poverty up in Baltimore, Lafayette Project, mm. and I didn't have a degree. <laughs> I didn't have yeah. a degree. So it was like, okay, now you're capping my salary because you're telling me I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough to make accept, you know, this feeling that you've created. And then I wanted creative freedom. I wanted to be the most creative being that I could be. So the question was, I didn't have a blueprint of the how, but I did have this desire that was so strong to try to figure it out and try to find a way that I was willing to just get started. Yeah. And I, I was willing to get started with my flaws, with my imperfections, with not knowing. I didn't have any, you know, famous people in my Rolodex. I didn't know Les Brown then. I, none of that. Mm. But it was like, if you get started, if you disrupt what you normally do, there's no way that you can't ultimately get something different. Because you're automatically shifting the path that you're on by doing something you don't normally do. So my path was starting a business while I was still working my full-time job as a legal secretary so so that I could disrupt my norm and try to figure out this thing of creating the freedoms that I desired. And it was by getting started without all the answers, without it being perfect. Believe me, there were a lot of mistakes and failures. There were a lot of setbacks. But doing it anyway and then getting back up when I did get knocked down is the thing that started opening doors of opportunity. That's how I ended up getting to a place of discovery of what my impact was, what my gifting was. And then people will start to tell you what your gifting is because they'll say, man, you wow, when you speak, I just I feel moved or whatever the thing is. You, you make the best sweet potato pie. Mm-hmm. Or did you anybody ever tell you you got a radio voice? Like whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. people will start to share that with you. And you're like, really? You never even looked at it because you, it came so easy to you. And so number one, new doors of opportunity start to open. Number two, re- new relationships start to open. And those new relationships expose you to people who can now say, have you ever considered this? Have you ever considered trying this thing or that thing? Or let me take you to this networking event with me and introduce you to some folks. And those new doors, those new opportunities start to create this new life that you didn't even know was possible. Yeah. First of all, shout out to Baltimore City. Uh, I ain't mad at you, Baltimore City. Uh, that's number <laughs> one. Number two, um, I was uh, we were in a, we were in a conversation on this program, I guess, a week or so ago. And I, I literally just referenced this conversation in another conversation like two days ago. So it's still on my mind, even a week later from the original conversation. And that is the distinction um, that uh, is to be made between freedom and liberation. We have a, we were having a, one of those mm. deep, deep, deep philosophical conversations with one of the nation's brilliant scholars, preeminent scholars about the difference between freedom and liberation. Um, that's another conversation for another time. It's still on my mind, as I said. That's why I raised it again. But to your point specifically about those three freedoms that you were in search of, time, finance, and creativity. Time freedom, financial freedom, creative freedom. 
I just kind of got depressed when you when you laid that out. And, and, and here's why. Uh, I have been fortunate in my life, as have you, as you have been, to find freedom with regard to my time. I make my own decisions about how I spend my time. Uh, uh-huh. Financial. I've been rich and I've been poor. Trust me, rich is better. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and number three, uh, the ability to be creative. I've been blessed beyond measure in my life to have access to all three of those freedoms, time, financial, and creative. But it occurred to me, hence my depression, that most of the folk that you and I know who are black, sadly, will never in their lifetimes have access to all three of those things. Certainly not simultaneously. The freedom of time to move as they want to move in the world and show up the way they want to show up. The freedom of finance so that you don't have to be you know, strapped and worried every day about how to pay your bills, et cetera, et cetera. And three, the freedom to be creative. The freedom to be uh-huh. creative. I, I get why you why you crave those three things, and yet it occurs to me again that most of the folk that we know, and sadly, me and the folk that we're talking to right now, will never have a way to access, to approach those three things. Let me look at my clock here now. I see that we have news, traffic, and sports in about 40 seconds. So when we come forward, Dr. Cheryl Wood, I want to come to that because, uh, again, you open that door and I want to follow you in. Um, but that deserves some unpacking because uh, what you have been able to uh, access, what I've been able to access is not the norm specifically for people who look like you and me. And my, I, guess my, I guess my question is whether or not there is anything to be done about that. Is that a development that we can arrest or is that our fate as people of color, as black people, to never have the freedom of time? and finance and creativity worth talking about it. And we will after news, traffic and sports with our guest in this hour, Dr. Cheryl Wood on KBLA talk. Find a righteous range and don't be afraid to say what you see for KBLA talk. 1580. I'm Tabby Smiley. Our guest in this hour is Dr. Cheryl Wood. I was just uh, thinking um, during that break, we've had uh, three hours today as we do every day, um, three black women guests, three brilliant conversations. <laughs> so, uh, deal with that three brilliant black women uh three amazing conversations and i couldn't be more grateful for all three hours and especially this hour dr cheryl wood who we uh continue our conversation with right now all right dr wood i'll let you, I'll let you take it and run with it um but I, I teed it up uh the way i needed to this notion of freedom um that you craved while you were hitting the snooze button five times uh-huh. every morning before going to work as a legal secretary you wanted to find in your life the freedom of time uh, finance and creativity. Uh, as we say, thank God for Jesus, you found it and you were doing your thing. But so many people uh, in this country, as evidenced by the data I referenced earlier, that the majority of black folk in this country hate the jobs they go to every single day. How then do they find the freedom that you found, that I found of time and finance and creativity? Is it possible for everybody? Yeah, then that's such a great question. I love that you pose that question. And, and let me just say this. Let me preface it by saying I believe financial freedom is the key to the time freedom and creative freedom. Yeah, fair enough. Because once I have that financial independence and freedom, guess what? I can dictate how I'm going to spend my time. I can dictate creative projects I'm going to pour myself into. And I think for our community, a couple things that I've seen in the time frame that I've been in business. Number one, more of us need to invest more in us than on us. Mm. And what I mean by that is 
I see people all the time who say they broke, they don't have no money, but they got the red bottom shoes on, mm-hmm. they got the new Jordans on, they just, and I know how much those cost because I got two teenage boys. So I know you're spending five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars or more on a pair of tennis shoes, but you'll swear that you don't have money to invest to start up a real estate company or a small business, or you can't do something else. And it's like, we've got to shift that mindset. How many people do you know who said they were broke, but they bought, they found the money for what they valued, which was a $2,500 Beyonce ticket. <laughs> Nothing against Beyonce, yeah. but let's just think about that. Like I, I hear that and I see that all the time. So number one, we got to learn the power of investing in ourselves a lot more. Number two, as a people, I feel like we have got to stop having a scarcity mindset where if we know something that adds value to our life, we don't share it with our community. And I think that just, again, comes from a space of scarcity and feeling like, well, it's not enough for all of us to get it. It's Mm -hmm. not enough for all of us to win. So if I know about it, I got to keep it hush-hush because if you find out about it, you might get the little piece that I was going to get. And that is not how other races function. They share resources. If one knows something, they share it with the next one. They open doors for each other. But our people, in my experience, are closed-lipped. And they don't share. And there have been so many opportunities that I finally find out about. And I think to myself, when I get there and I see all the people there who knew what I wanted to do and who knew my capabilities, who did not tell me about it, mention it, open the door of opportunity for me, it makes you wonder, what was the hesitation in sharing this opportunity that could bless your life and my life, which Mm -hmm. in turn, if we bring that back to our community, it blesses our communities, it blesses our families, and we get to grow and flourish. And then I would think the last piece for me would be not only lifting as we climb, but also making sure that we are investing in each other's businesses, each other's services and products, right? Mm -hmm. So that we are able to hire within our own community. So the answer to my answer to that is I do believe it's available for many, many more of us, but we've got to be willing to avail ourselves of it. We have to be willing to share. We have to be willing to lift. I don't want to climb to the mountaintop on my own, so mm-hmm. I'm making sure I bring as many people with me as I can. And we've got to make sure that even in the corporate space, let's, let's take it outside of business, even in the corporate sector, like if you see someone who has that leadership potential to be able to climb the corporate ladder who's someone of color, like can you mentor them? That's equally as valuable as anything else that you can do. Can you become a sponsor for them so that when you're in the rooms that they're not in so far, you're being their mouthpiece so that you elevate someone else. So it's just the whole concept of lifting as we climb, knowing that we are we have a birthright to freedom, but you got to also be willing to put something in. I always say four things. You got to be willing to put something in. You got to be willing to give something up. You have to be willing to get up from something that knocks you down. And then you have to be willing to complete something, which means crossing a finish line and then moving that finish line to a new finish line. Mm, it's a powerful frame, powerful frame. Uh, I was laughing as you made the point about investing in us and not on us. I, I have said many mm-hmm. times on this program uh, that too many of us spend money we don't have buying stuff we don't mm-hmm. need, trying to impress folk we don't even like. Uh, so the audience, mm-hmm. I'm sure, has heard that more than once. But uh, I thought about that when you when you made your point about investing in and not on. Uh, let me let me let me move uh, and pivot to this. Um, I said earlier in this conversation that you have um, uh, spent countless hours helping countless women uh, exponentially increase their impact and their influence uh, when it comes to unleashing uh, their undeniable impact. What have you learned in your journey about the specific challenges that women face and even black women face uh, more expressly in that regard? 
Number one, I feel like we suffer a lot with this thing called imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that just stemmed, from, I think, from a lot of time from us not be feeling like we're validated. And, and from sometimes from where we come from and our past and, and what that looked like. And no one perhaps was reaffirming for us that we were good enough and that we could be giants in the world. I know from my environment, you know, I had the love and support of my mom. But she wasn't telling me I could be a giant in the world. Her her solution was get out, get a good job, and work that job until you're able to retire. It wasn't focused on, again, freedom and creating something that's your own and putting your brand out there and becoming who you really want to be. And then my father, unfortunately, suffered from alcoholism. So he was barely in my life. So all of that saying that when you come from an environment like I came from, which many people, many of us come from, of scarcity, of lack, um, you question, like, am I really good enough? Who's going to listen to me? Who's going to want to hear what I have to say? When I grew up and, and graduated high school in Bal- out of Baltimore, Mergenthal High School, I didn't go off for four years of higher learning and self-discovery and find out who I was. I went straight into the workforce so I could get the heck out of poverty mm. and bring my mother out of poverty. So as I came into this business world and people are flaunting and flashing their titles and their degrees, I felt less than, and I had a real extreme case of imposter syndrome. Like, who do I think I am to say I'm going to inspire people when I don't even have a piece of paper that says I'm smart enough, good enough. I don't have any letters behind my name. And I had to work through that mess that, you know what, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, you already came here pre-approved by a higher being. You don't need anybody else to tell you that you are enough. You've got to believe it, stand firm on it, and then walk in it. And as you start to walk in it, your greatness or your gift will make room for you. So everything that I've been able to do has been founded on abandoning the idea that I'm not enough, abandoning imposter syndrome. And it's not that it doesn't creep up sometimes, because even now, 13 years into the journey, it still creeps up sometimes. It's like, hey, you know you that chick that grew up in, in Lafayette Project. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you think you're going to go to the United Nations and speak, or you, go, you think you're going to go to the stage at NASA and speak to these PhDs and Right. So that stuff still creeps up. But my voice of reason and my voice of truth has to be louder than my voice of fear. Mm. So it's really I feel for black women, especially it's facing the fear head on. Don't run from it. Run towards it. And really working on our mental toughness about the fact that we are enough just as we are. Mm. Dr. Sherwood has also written about uh, and opined about uh, and uh, talked about in a variety of places and spaces uh, the notion of daring to rise above mediocrity. And when we come forward, I want to come right to that, this notion of uh, what it takes to rise above mediocrity. I'll tell you something that Frank Sinatra once told me that ties into that when we come forward with Dr. Sherwood on KBLA Talk fifteen eight. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Dr. Cheryl Wood, Frank Sinatra once told me, uh, Tavis, never accept that something is good enough when you know it can be greater. If you know uh-huh. you can do better, never accept that something is good enough. What he was talking about, uh, he's Frank Sinatra. He's the chairman of the board, right? Uh, and he's in a recording studio, and they do one take, they do two takes, and they say, Frank, you killed it. You killed it. Great take. Uh, And he would say to himself oftentimes, let's do another take. (laughs) Because he knew 
uh, that no matter how good they thought it was, that he could do a better take. And that's how he became, of course, uh, the chairman of the board. Uh, Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra. So I, I, I often think about that when I think about this notion of mediocrity. And you've talked about it. You've written about it, uh, about how we rise above mediocrity. So many of us are, 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 are okay with, we settle with just doing well enough, just doing good enough. Uh, and to me, uh-huh. that's mediocrity. We don't, we, we don't get challenged to rise above it. But you've written about it. You've talked about it. So tell me about it. <laughs> I love it. When I think about the word mediocrity, I think of something that's of just mediocre or moderate quality. Like it's, it's average. It's ordinary. And I just wake up every day and I'm like, girl, ain't nothing average or ordinary about you and the impact you meant to make in the world. Like, I, I don't know about other people's habits, but I talk to myself mm. and I tell myself some good stuff. I am my own biggest cheerleader uh, because that's the only way that I do rise above mediocrity. I challenge myself. I have enough curiosity to get out and explore what else is possible. Like, you can't just be okay with what you've already done, but you have to have that spirit of curiosity. What else can I do? Who else can I help? How do I consistently make my life bigger than myself? So you've got to be curious. You've got to challenge yourself. You've got to dare to take some risks that scare you. I say if it don't scare you, it can't grow you mm. because when we're doing something that's comfortable, then guess what? It's, it's not scary. It's familiar. But when we are doing something that is stretching us, expanding us and causing us to raise above mediocrity, then, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little terrifying. You, you're going to have your knees are going to be shaking and your palms might be sweating. Your heart is racing because now you are being stretched into a completely new version of yourself. But you can't even do that until you're willing to be willing to do it, to be willing to explore it. So for me, every day I ask myself, Cheryl, why would you dare choose mediocrity again when greatness is an option? You said it, and 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 there was almost a, a, a little chuckle that you that you uh, that came behind it. Uh, even though I know you were serious about it, but I want to come to this uh, because you just uh, you laid into it, and I want to I want to build on it. And that is this notion of talking to yourself. You said I talked to myself, and then you chuckled. Uh, <laughs> but it, but it, it was funny, but not really because I know you meant it. You do in fact talk to yourself, and and I talked uh-huh. to myself as you were as you were making that point. I thought about the fact that it is biblical. Uh, if you, for those who know anything about it, there is there there is a, there is an admonition uh, in the Bible to encourage yourself. Sometimes you have uh-huh. to encourage yourself. So it's even biblical that we should encourage ourselves and talk to ourselves. I'm thinking about Serena Williams. You, you, she, she's the greatest. She's the goat. Serena is the goat. But if you are a Serena fan, you've seen Serena in any number of of, of matches. Talk to herself with her racket in her hand. You can see her lips moving. She's talking to herself. That's how she became the GOAT. I wonder what you uh, might say uh, if I give you a few seconds, as I will now, to go a little deeper about the value that one finds in encouraging yourself in speaking and talking to yourself sometimes. We have all heard the expression that there is life and death in the power of the tongue. So what you say to yourself matters. Just like what you say to other people matters. It's going to land on them a certain way. It's either going to encourage, uplift, and upbuild them and empower them, or it's going to tear them down. So you better believe I'm not going to be on this journey called living, not just existing, and tear myself down. No, I'm going to build myself up. The second part of that is that's critical because you're not always going to have an audience of people who are applauding for you. Mm. In fact, Sometimes the people who start with you and they got their pom-poms in the air, they will no longer, when you get to a certain place, they will no longer have the capacity to keep cheering for you. 
because now you have exceeded their expectations of what they thought you were going to accomplish. Hello. So it's just important that we always are our own biggest cheerleaders and that we develop a mindset that is, I talked about it earlier, mental toughness, which is I can press through anything that comes my way that's a challenge. I am a problem solver. I, I have the ability to be able to find solutions to the problems that, uh, that find me on my way to this journey of success. And as you keep pouring those things into you and you say the positive, powerful affirmations, you are working a muscle, your mind muscle. It's just like any other muscle in your body. If I want to get tight and right for the summer, guess where I'm going to have it? I'm going up the street to the gym and I'm going to work the muscles that I want to be tight and right. Mm -hmm. So if I want my mind to be tight and right, I got to work that muscle equally, which means I've got to watch what I say to myself. I've got to watch who else I allow to say things to me and what they speak into my life. I got to be willing to read things that are empowering, listen to things that are empowering, and just fuel myself with everything to know that mm. I can. Yes, I can, no matter what obstacles present themselves. Speaking of fuel, and to your earlier point, I always use the example of the rocket. Uh, anybody's ever watched the rocket take off at a certain point in its uh, ascendancy, uh, those boosters fall off because those boosters have to fall off for the rocket to get into the stratosphere. You take my point. Our remaining moments with Dr. Cheryl Wood when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Got just three minutes left in conversation with Dr. Cheryl Wood. I've enjoyed this immensely. I hope you have as well. Uh, I think I want to close on this note. Um, we've talked about um, unleashing your undeniable impact. We've talked about daring to rise above mediocrity. Uh, and and I, I want to close, among other things, of course, but I want to close with, um, with this, given what Dr. Wood said a moment ago, that you will... If you ain't figured this out, keep living, you will. <laughs> you heard her suggest earlier uh, that the folk who start out with you with pom-poms in their hands ain't always going to be there necessarily. Uh, and at some point uh, in your journey, you have to learn and accept the fact that you are enough, that you are enough. Dr. Cheryl Wood, I wonder if you might close this hour in the uh, two and a half minutes that we have left. I give it all to you to talk about the fact that we, in fact, are enough. Hmm. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've experienced in life. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your imperfections, your flaws. You have everything it takes to win big. You have everything that it takes to create whatever reality that you want. And you should be on a path to create a life that you're absolutely in love with. But the important thing to remember is this. Knowledge is power but knowledge executed is your superpower. That word unleash is a verb. It's an action word. You have to consistently be in action in order to create a life that looks barely recognizable than anything you've ever experienced. It's not enough just to know that you can accomplish more. It's not enough just to know that more is available to you and that you can rise above mediocrity. You've got to be willing to execute something. Or as I say to my clients often, you've got to be willing to divorce Ing, I-N-G, and Mary Ed. That means stop thinking and planning and brainstorming and contemplating and vision boarding and move over into the E-D. I planned that thing. I executed. I completed. Because Tony Robbins says it best. A real decision is measured by the fact that you've taken a new action. And if there is no new action, you have not truly decided. So will you decide to unleash your undeniable impact in the world? And when you're, will your action dictate that decision. Mm. Give me that line again. I love it. Knowledge is power, but what? But knowledge executed is your superpower. Mm. 
Knowledge is power, but knowledge executed is your superpower. Superpower. There you mm. go. No better way to close this conversation. Our guest has been Dr. Cheryl Wood, and I am delighted in having her on this program for the first time, not her last, I can assure you. Dr. Wood, good to have you on. All the best to you. You don't need it, but all the best to you in the coming months. <laughs> and uh, I thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. Good to have you on. Just like that, three hours, poof, gone. Uh, tomorrow, the best of Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Time now to make room for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Ahead of the Crypto Curve with Naja Roberts. Old money, new money. Either way, we got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Until the best of Tavis Smiley tomorrow, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time. Thanks for tuning in today. And as always... Keep the faith.